This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. We were in California last week with uh, Patty's parents, and her dad is doing better, but it's uh, you know it's short term. We don't know the long term, but that's kind of the main thing I can say. And, and that uh, ties in with our um, workshop tonight that we're doing. It has to do with uh, aging parents. And if you take a look there in your worship guide, there's a little card that talks about that and caring for aging parents. And one day we will, at least a lot of us, will be in that category of, of aging parents. If we're not already, I feel like I'm uh, getting there myself. But we're going to be here tonight, too. Uh, it's right where we are right now as, as Patty's dad. He's, in, he's out of the hospital, and he's in a rehab uh, place, and uh, hopefully be, be able to go home soon. So uh, also I want to say this, that uh, we, as you know, uh, Proposition 5 is the, the election or the vote on that is a week off from this next Tuesday. And I would like to help if you need help sorting through that. I think there's some complexities there. And uh, Tuesday night at 7, I will be uh, addressing. I just feel like that's something a pastor needs to do. So I'll do my best. And then... Um, I want, also want to say that this week and in Unalakleet, which is where the, the dogs meet the water there, you know, in the race, we celebrated 125 years together as uh, the Covenant Church in Alaska. And um, we, uh, I was not able to go, but we had a number of people there. And uh, I've, I've heard some really good stuff about it. So I just want you to know that, that we have a long missionary history here. And we have people in this room that were part of that. But... Um, um, yeah. Not the whole 125. <laughs> Not the whole. But you'd be surprised how far back it goes. Yes, you know what? When you say something and people start laughing, you have to think about, well, okay, what was it? All right. In college, I had a, uh, a best friend, uh, and it was kind of funny because uh, my lifestyle in college uh, led his fiance to. Uh, I, I heard this from him, to um, not want him to hang out with me, that I was a bad influence on him. Okay? I want you to know that. And then it's funny that uh, I, I find humor in odd places, I know, but it's funny that when I became a Christian, um, she still didn't want him to hang out with me because I might, you know, turn him into a religious fanatic or something. Isn't that funny? Change is amazing. And uh, uh, I think today she's fine with me, by the way. But um, I remember that. But what impresses me about people in general, and I think, I mean, I get impressed with, you know, somebody's got a lot of education or if somebody is, is you know, physically super attractive or um, yeah, whatever, in sports, or they, they're high achievers. I mean, all of that stuff can be attractive, and some of it, you know, you need to watch out. But, but what, in, what impresses me, and I honestly mean this more than anything else, is when I see a human being change. It just makes, it, it, I don't know if it's, I, I think it was true of me before I was a pastor. I hope it's true for you that when you see somebody change, I mean, good change, change we're going to talk about here. Growing up and being more like Christ kind of change. That impresses me. And I have, seen, I have seen stingy people become generous. I have seen racists turn into lovers of all people. 
I have seen promiscuous people become chaste in, in their sexuality. I mean, I've seen that stuff. And it, it is not the norm. It's not everywhere. But when I see it, I say, oh, God, you are so good. It's, it's amazing stuff. Now, what the, we've been looking at, what changes people is the gospel. And uh, I'm gonna, I want to talk about that. I don't think you ever can talk enough about the gospel. So what is the gospel? It is, t- let me, before I read this definition for you, before you look at it, please don't look at it. I know you're all looking at it. I know you. <laughs> Bunch of sinners. Yeah. <laughs> Tell people not to do something, they do it. But anyway, before you look at it, uh, I want you to uh, know this, that I am not capable of fully defining the gospel for you. It is too big. It is too vast. It is just too much. So all I can do is, every week when we gather, try to, you know, once again, take a shot at it. And we renew ourselves in it. So here's, you know, this, I got this definition just out of thinking about this letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, the scope of it. But the activity of God on our behalf in the life and death of Jesus Christ that changes people, communities of people, meaning like us, and the whole cosmos. You find that, those three levels, in the, and we're focusing in on the, the people one here. But believe me, there's, uh, if you look at Ephesians, you'll see how it changes groups of people and how they relate to each other, and then it changes the whole, the whole thing. I mean, we're talking everything. Um, this gospel has that kind of impact. So how does the gospel uh, change us? Well, you know, it... it if I can get to the, I'll, I'll try this again. We've been using this triangle. In that lower right-hand corner, it says our growth plan. But imp- implicit in that is our will, our desire to change. So how you doing? How many resolutions have you made? How is your willpower? How does your willpower stand up against all of those temptations that come against you? And come on, be honest, they're out there for all kinds of stuff. Is, are you strong? What happens is our willpower gets shrunk and defeated, and we, you know, we, we, we say we're never going to do something again, and we find ourselves doing it again. You know, I'll never eat a gallon of ice cream again. Well, shoot, you know, never, whatever it is for you. I mean, it, it, we, we are lacking, and our willpower gets shrunk. And what the gospel does, it works, it operates in that lower right-hand corner to give us a, a new willpower, a will to do things God's way. Okay? It expands our, our ability to say no to the things that we should say no to and yes to the things that we say yes to. And when that happens, you can see how all that, that triangle can work together. The Holy Spirit can direct us. We have life experiences that make sense of uh, God working in our lives. And we become more like God. But we need our will to be activated. And what activates our will is the gospel, knowing that... God has done something for us that we could not do for ourselves. And out of that becomes, or comes a thanksgiving, a thankful heart, and a thankful heart that wants to do what God wants. So it's, it's changing the wants in us. Uh, I want to look, though, today at what corrupts these two enemies of, of the gospel. Two enemies we're going to look at. And uh, you'll, real soon you'll find out what they are. Um. Whatever, here's why we're looking at them. Because whatever shrinks the gospel down is going to limit 
the amount of change that God can do in us. So there's the logic. If the gospel becomes less than this robust and vibrant energy force that changes our will, if there's things that shrink that down, then they're the enemies of change. So this is important stuff for all of us. Now, Paul identifies these two enemies in every letter he writes. Okay, Some more one side, some more the other. If you took these two enemies out, and you'll see, i say here in a sec what they are, the New Testament would shrink dramatically. Now, Paul is the first theologian of the church. Theologian, if you break that word down, theo means God, logen, logos means word, words about God. Paul is the first person that uh, we have... Um, Record. He's the, the great theologian who writes not only to the Jewish world but to the Gentile, to the, all the world, interpreting what we what theologians call theologian call the Christ event, meaning Christ came into this world, uh, and, and all that we know about that, but the death and the resurrection. How do we interpret that for life? Paul is the one who gives us the interpretation for what Christ meant. And those two forces that we're going to enemies are are very much alive today. So here's what I want. I want for you, this is my want for you thing. I want you to develop theological instincts that will be able to identify these two forces in your own life and in the lives of those around you that you might be a better theologian yourself. Because we're all theologians. We all, think, we all say words about God, right? You can be an atheist and be a theologian. You're not a very good one, I would say, but you can be an atheist and be a theologian. You're, you're talking about God. You're thinking about God, and that's what it means. So I want, it's, we want good theology, not bad theology. All right. The first uh, of these two is, if you've heard me before on this, you're going to hear it again. These, these are important things. Again, uh, the word is legalism. Okay? So let's get that. Up there, it has many four other other kind of uh, related words. Moralism: you become a moralist. You become rules-based in your religious practices. It's truth without grace, legalism. And in the text that we've been that I, we've spent two weeks already in, uh, the first two weeks of this series, and now this is the is this the fifth week, right? And that we're back into that Ephesians four. Uh, passage, and what a legalist does is they they put off the old. So the, the passage talks about putting off the old. There's, remember the three steps: put off the old, put on the new, and be made new in the spirit or the imagination of your mind. Okay, those are the three steps. Uh, and what a, what a legalist will do is put off the old. They emphasize putting off the old. But there's and they emphasize at the end of in, in verse 24 becoming righteous and holy, but without putting on the new. And they may think they have, but they're not living out of this, this vital gospel. So I've got a, a prop here in my pocket that is in, you know what that is, right? Actually, let me make it brighter for you. I've got different ones here, a balloon. And think of the gospel as being uh, robust, vibrant, big, all right? If I do this and it blows up, uh, it's never been done before. Anyway, don't try this at home. 
Okay, so that's about as big as I can blow this thing up. And the, I'm just using this as an illustration. The gospel is robust. It is full. It, it is uh, life-giving. And what we want to not have happen is... Oops, bad sound in church. Okay. Um, but you don't want to deflate it. You don't want anything that's going to make it smaller. Because it's got to weigh in. It's got to feed your will. Okay, and the smaller it gets, what legalism does is it shrinks it down. So conservative churches, here, let me go back in history, Victorian churches, Victorian age, fundamentalist churches, those images, the Puritans, the one whose biggest fear in life is that somebody somewhere is having a good time, you know, that kind of stuff. Those kinds of churches will shrink this thing down. So there's no, there's no, it's just limp, there's nothing in it, there's nothing, it's empty. And, and you, those words up there, moral, putting off the old. Oh, it's all about don't do this, don't do that. There's no life in that at all. Uh, the fatal flaw of, if I can get at this, I want I know, and I, I believe that each one of us struggles with this. So I make, I can make fun of you know other people, but uh, I tell you what, I've struggled with this, and I bet you have too. Both of these. But the fatal flaw of the legalist is, is that they have separated the loving story of God and the relational aspects of that story from the commandments of God. You've heard me say this before, the Ten Commandments. How do they start out? They don't start out with a commandment. They start out with, I am the Lord thy God that brought you out of Egypt. You know what that means? I am the Lord that wants to relate to you. I am the Lord that wants to give you new life. I am the one who took you out of the old, put off the old. You're coming into a new land. Be made new. This is it's exactly what we're talking about here. But it's all in relationship with God. The new command or the Ten Commandments don't start with, you know, thou shalt have no other gods before me. It starts out with a statement of relationship and life. You gotta get that right. It's it's one of the keys to parenting. I am the parent who loves you. Now go clean up your room. No, don't do that. But it's that if you can say to your son or your daughter, I, am, I love you so much, I really don't want you to go to that party on Friday night because I love you so much. It's in the context of love. And a fundamentalist, legalist, um, Victorian, Puritan, whatever, approach is to suck the love out and so everything becomes, don't do this. Don't go to that party. I told you. I told you. How many times have I told you? Relationships do not function out of commandment alone. <laughs> they get sucked dry. So uh, in this, there's a, 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 a pseudo-community that takes shape as you have a, a, a group or a family that does that. You have a pseudo-community where pseudo-transformation takes place, which really means everybody's pretending to be better than they really are. There's, no, there's nothing... The, the real problem is in us. It's sin in us. Sin is not addressed. What's addressed is behavior. You know, and that's not enough. It doesn't go deep enough. But that's, and so kids go off to college and, and uh, the environment changes, the environmental controls are taken off and, and they go to the other extreme, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. Uh, <laughs> I've got a funny story to tell. And... Uh, we were recently, uh, Patty and I, having lunch. She went to Taiwan, and there was a group of you that went to Taiwan back in 2004, 5, 
somewhere in there. Yeah, five. And part of our, our church connecting with the, the Taiwanese uh, church there. And there was a connection made there. We didn't know these people, but they, they came to Alaska. They went to one of those churches in Taiwan. And we said, they, they got our, they remembered, they didn't know Patty, but they knew somebody who knew Patty when she was there. So anyway, they're here, and we uh, arrange a lunch. So we, we're eating lunch there somewhere in, in Midtown. And there's a little bit of a communication issue there, but we we had fun. And But in the middle of the lunch, uh, John, the, the man, he turns to me. Patty was talking with, with uh, the woman, the wife. And he turns to me, and he says, now... In, in your church, in the American church, do you get, do, do people um, come for prayer every day at five o'clock in the morning? And I didn't know, I didn't exactly know how to respond. I mean, I wasn't sure where he was coming from. I didn't know if it was a good thing to say yes or no. Here's what I'm trying to say. And I said, well, I said, John, you know, it's, uh, I, you know we, we have, no, <laughs> no, no, uh, we don't do that. And I just got right to the point. And, uh, and he looked at me and said, oh, yeah, that sounds good. You know, I could tell that he wasn't excited about any. And I said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, I, I work all day and I, I you know, I, I, I'm just so busy. And, and then the pastor and everybody's supposed to be there at 5 o'clock every morning. You guys should feel good here. Anyway, uh, <laughs> And, but I said, well, you know, I know the Korean church is very big on that kind of thing, but we, we really, that's not who we are. We do have times where we have 24-hour prayer. We have one of those coming up here towards Easter, and we, have, we, we encourage people to, to live out their faith wherever they are, to be praying constantly or ceaselessly, as Paul says. Uh, but we don't do that. Oh, he kind of likes that. He likes that. I could tell it really set him at ease. He felt more comfortable with me. And then we were talking. He wants to be a tourist uh, or bring tourists from Taiwan to Alaska. You know, that's good, right? He, that's why he's here. He's exploring and wants to know where, where they should go. And, I'm, and he, he talked about some restaurants. And I'm thinking, well, uh, you got it. You got to go to the brew house. I said, you know, honestly, tourists, it's one of those places that you just have to go to the brew Brew house? Beer? So first I said he didn't have to pray at five in the morning. And now he's got visions of, you know, I don't think he understands exactly what I'm trying to say about being a place to eat there. And then he turns to me and says, I really like your church. (laughs) Anyway. Hmm. So what is the answer to legalism? Well, is it eat, drink, and be merry, and smoke a cigar, and whatever? No, that's not the answer. That is not the answer. The answer is the gospel. The gospel sets people free. Free from the bondage of rule-keeping. Okay? And there's a bondage there. And you discover the love. So it's the love of God that, that we find in the gospel, the love of God, that, that as Tyler, I think, said or hinted at earlier, there's nothing we can do that would cause God to love us any less than he already does. Oh, boy, what, a, what, a, what freedom that brings. So that's the first enemy. The second enemy is... License. Uh, there's different ways to say it, but when you treat the gospel as a license to 
to sin. And, and okay, here's how it goes in our thinking. Uh, Lord, well, let me, go, let me go to the definition, then I'll, then I'll go to the, how it goes in our thinking. Relativism, no rules religion, dereg, deregulation. There's a word that we can identify with, right? Deregulation of the self or of life. Um, grace without truth. So the other one was truth without grace. And just, you know, being authentic, which means usually authentic, uh, being uh, following your feelings. You know, if, if you feel like doing something, then it must be right. And if I, if I did everything I felt like doing, I'm telling you, folks, I, there's no way I could be a pastor, right? I mean, that doesn't work. So anyway, that's, I'm getting ahead of myself. Anyway, don't put off the old is the voice that gets said here. Not, don't, don't worry about it. Don't worry about being like God in true righteousness and holiness, which it says in Ephesians 22, 24. And don't worry about imitating God, which was that other part of the thing. And he said, you know, just here's how it goes. This is how we think. This is a this Christian life is a real deal. God is really good at forgiving, and I am really good at sinning. What a deal! What a transaction, right? That's a little bit of how it goes. And the the person who sees the gospel as a license to sin will in fact uh, this this tends to be liberal churches if I can put it that way if uh, so I've earlier I vilified the, the real conservative church and now the real the liberal church who, who has a they like character they like they want their kids to have character but that if that involves talking about absolute rights and wrongs don't want that. That leads to judgmentalism, right? And so they don't have the ability to distinguish between truth and judgmentalism. And when you don't have that ability, you don't, you've lost so much. If you can't speak the truth to your children without them, uh, well, without being judgmental towards them, you see how gentle this balance is between the legalism that is there and the license that is there? You can easily go either way and get off track. And so the gospel, again, is vibrant. And full and robust. And when we remember, it, this is that which was going to bring our will back to life, to feed us, cause us to be thankful for all that God has done. And again, it is the, uh, the licentious, the license based person who ends up with nothing to feed their will that will cause them to change. Not good. What's the answer? The answer is not to keep the rules. And this is this is tenuous. This is yeah, I, I know I'm, I'm just trying to define it for you. This is the gospel. It's not to keep the rules. The other one wasn't to go out and break the rules. In verses twenty four, in verse twenty four, it says to put on the new, uh, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Created. Okay, so let's talk about the word righteous and holy. The word righteous in the Bible, I'm a, what a righteous person is, and the, the Old Testament is particularly big on the righteous man. We find a definition of the righteous man in the Old Testament. Is someone who is willing to do the right thing regardless of the cost. It takes character, doesn't it, to do that. Deep, deep character. Do the right thing, meaning you believe there is a right thing. It's not wishy-washy. And you're going to do the right thing regardless of the cost. So we have a guy named Joseph in the Old Testament who... Uh, when confronted with sexual sin, said, how could I sin? How could I do this and sin against God? 
How could I enter into an illicit sexual relationship and sin against God? He's a righteous man, Joseph, in the Old Testament. Then you have Joseph in the New Testament, the father, the stepfather of Jesus, the one who married Mary. And it says he was a righteous man. Why? Because he, uh, he was willing to put his reputation on the line so that Mary's reputation would not go down. Isn't that beautiful? He's a, he's a righteous man. That's what a righteous man does. You're not thinking about yourself. You're not worried about yourself. You're, you're other-oriented. You're, you're uh, God-oriented in your concerns. That's what a righteous man is. Mm. Was Jesus righteous? Or did he just think about himself? Well, you know, he was a righteous man. But let's go to the word holy. That's a different word. It says, in true righteousness and holiness. That's what we're called to. And we're called to be like Christ... Christ was holy. Wasn't he holy? He was holy. But what holy means, at least in the Old Testament, is somebody who's set apart. You're a holy man. You're, you're separate from. You're, you're in some ways better than. You're uh, unique. And, and, and you don't, the holy never mixes with the unholy or the common. And what you find in Jesus is the word holiness being redefined. And so that Jesus, the holy one of Israel, the holy one of God, those are titles he has, comes into the dirtiest places in life. Figure that out. Well, we will in just a minute. But it creates some questions in us. It should. How could he be holy and still hang out with the unholy? Well, before we get there, uh, I want to talk about the word balance for a minute. And I have, I think, over here, unless somebody has moved them. Ah, yes, I have them. So, you know, it's one of the games I like to play. Is, is golf, all right? And um, let's see here. Can I do this? I'm going to do this. You ever, you ever, you know, when somebody's talking to you in conversation, you ever just kind of fiddle around with a pencil or try to balance it? It's hard to balance, isn't it? There you go, right there. Oopsie, it's getting off. It's hard. So I'm trying to balance two things here. I'm trying to balance the, the, this, the love of God and the holiness of God. What is that, what is that form? If I balance it right. Anyway, what is that form? What's that look like? Yeah, there you go. Cross, right? That's where we're going. But I also have to say, this works really well, too, to illustrate. If you've ever played golf... You're going to struggle in one of two directions, right? You're going to hit a slice or what? A hook. Is it hard to hit the ball straight? Come on, guys, women. Isn't it hard? If you say it's not hard, you haven't played golf. (laughs) It is really hard to hit it straight. Now, all of that to say, those two illustrations are that the gospel in the last letter that Paul wrote in the New Testament, 2 Timothy, he said, guard the gospel. Why would he say that? His last words, guard the gospel. It is so easily polluted. That which can be so life-giving and robust can be so easily polluted by legalism or license. Either one can bring it down. Now the cross, this this is the thing, the cross holds together the love of God and the holiness of God in a way that only God could pull off. And it's the love of God which speaks into the legalist and all of their issues, and it's the holiness of God that speaks into the license-based person and all their issues. 
It is the love of God that is, you see Jesus. I mean, just picture him, outstretched arms, embracing, wanting to embrace you, offering himself to you. That is the love of God. And it is the holiness of God that is such, you've got to get this right. That love does not mean that he excuses or justifies. You cannot justify your sin and he will not excuse your sin. The price for your sin is his blood. And he will forgive you, but forgiving is not excusing. Two different, completely different words with great difference in meaning. The cost of, the holiness of God cost his son his life. That's how expensive it is. So in the cross, you've got the love of God and you've got the holiness of God. Together, there is, don't overemphasize one against the other. They are both, how many wings do you have to have that are working on an airplane to make it fly? That's what I'm, you know, you've got to have both or you're going to go into a tailspin. Only God could pull that off. And he pulled it off in the gospel that feeds uh, our hearts. Thank you, Father, that you fed us today at this table. And may your grace abound as your truth abounds to us. May we grow in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.